Hey guys, I'm Pete. And I'm Alex. And you're listening to the Kick Push Pivot Podcast. I'm a former Fortune 500 consultant dedicated to the idea of innovation and growth. And I used to manage marketing tours for the Rolling Stones, focused on creating one-of-a-kind customer experiences. On this podcast, we interview people faced with the decision to kickstart innovation, push through doubt, or pivot to something new. We hope you find something inspiring or encouraging as you listen. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Kick, Push, Pivot. I'm here as always with my co-host, Mr. Pete Mackey. Say what's up to the people, Pete. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back indeed. Uh, We have a good one for you today. Uh, Dr. Jan Kalika, who is the owner and chief clinical officer of Image Orthodontics. He's also co-founder of several healthcare companies um, and also... Interestingly enough, an international master in chess. So probably a pretty good critical thinker. Dr. Dr. Kalika, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Good. Well, the way we typically start off the show is just by asking you a little bit about yourself, your background, where you come from, maybe where you went to school, things like that. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Um, I grew up in the capital of Moldova. Uh, okay. The name of the capital is Kishinev. And uh, my father is from Romania and my mother is from Ukraine. And so when I was growing up, I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood um, in, in the city of Kishinev. Um, went to a public school. There's really no private schools at the time during the Soviet Union era. And, uh, you know, graduated from high school and entered the pharmacy school at the age of 15. And after I I finished three years of pharmacy school, um, I, you know, there was an opportunity for me to leave um, the Soviet Union and I immigrated to the United States. Um, I went to school here. I came when I was 19, took, took me about a year to learn English um, at the community college. And I went to Berkeley for college uh, as a chemistry major. Wow. And then after Berkeley, I worked for a year at Genentech, which was at that time kind of a nice, uh, you know, promising company. And obviously now it's a pharmaceutical giant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a very good experience at Genentech. I worked for quality assurance labs. And then I went to Harvard for Harvard for dental school. Um, first couple of years, I studied all the medical. Uh, all the, I took all the medical preclinical classes, which really helped for me to integrate all of the health disciplines between pharmacy and medicine and dentistry. And, um, you know, chose the career of an orthodontist, which I really love and enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I went to residency at UCSF back in San Francisco. And... Uh, you know, really got interested in airway orthodontics and how the whole connection to the overall health fits into the dentistry. Um, and, you know, was involved in a few healthcare startups. So that's a little bit about my education and how it brought me where I am today. Awesome. Wow. So you, Interesting uh, story. You used that, uh, that tough childhood to get into education quickly, and then you just kept well, the, going. The, the tough childhood, you know, teaches you, you know, how to survive, right? So when you come in, you know, without 
any kind of skills, money, or or the language into a different country. You have to. You're very determined. I think mm. the most, biggest lesson from tough childhood is that you know you have to be really determined and driven to be able to achieve something. Versus you know the kids who grow up in a comfortable environment that don't have that don't have as much of a drive. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, this is probably a question that. Um, is, is interesting for the audience. So coming over from Moldova, how did you pick up the, the English language? Because going to the schools you went to, Harvard, places like that, you know, that's pretty impressive for someone coming from another country, let alone, I assume that English wasn't spoken in your home right away as a second yeah. language. No, not at all. I mean, we, I, I didn't, I, I, I came to this country with, without any knowledge of English to pick it up. You know, I came in 89, right after the earthquake. Um, and I oh. saw, so I found the job reinforcing the foundations. There was a lot of people who wanted to reinforce their foundations after the earthquake. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after the job, I took some classes at the city college of San Francisco, the community college. And I, you know, on the weekends or whenever I had free time, I would try to make sure that I would go to some store and talk to people about how to buy a big screen TV, even though I didn't have any money, but you know, I t- tried wow. to strike as many English speaking conversations as possible. Um, and wow. so, you know, over time, you know, I kind of, for a little bit of time moved out from my comfort zone and spoke English all the time, you know, read different books and, uh, picked up the language. Interesting. That's incredible. Did you, so did you pay for school by doing all the reinforcement work? Is that how you put yourself? Well, I mean, I paid for my lifestyle. I mean, the City College of San Francisco at that time, it wasn't free, but it was very inexpensive. It was like, you know, maybe $20, $30 a unit. Mm -hmm. So I was taking full full time, full time in City College. It was maybe, you know, $1,000 or $1,500. So it's, you know, the outside work paid for. So then go you ahead. go to Berkeley and Harvard, though. Did you get scholarships to go there, or how did you end up making that happen? Uh, no, actually, Berkeley, I didn't have any scholarships, but at that time, it was also very inexpensive. I did get a lot of financial aid from the grants, you know, Pell Grants, or I can't Got even it. remember, Cal Grants. Um, I worked all the way through college, so I had a full-time job. When I was in Berkeley, I worked at UCSF in the surgical department and in cardiac surgery, uh, doing research. Um, on, and so it was, um, you know, unfortunately I had to have a full-time job to support my, to support my life. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit difficult to study at Berkeley and have a full-time job, but you know, sure, you, you do what you have to do. So that's how I went through college. And, uh, even at Harvard, when I was working there, I had a, I had a job that I had to do on the side. I was running some clinical trials for Colgate and that paid for some of the expenses. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So how did, how did chess get introduced into your life? We casually dropped that in, in the introduction, but that's (laughs) quite an achievement. You know, chess was introduced by my, I, I, it was interesting. The whole chess team of Moldova at some point had the same last name Kalika. So my cousin, I have two cousins who are older. Uh, and the male cousin, he was uh, he was uh, maybe ten years older than me. Um, he was a, also a master in chess, and uh, he introduced me at the age of 
five and a half, six. And then I had a girl cousin who was a year older than me, who was actually very, very promising chess player. She, she beat Kasparov, she beat Karpov. You know, she she beat some of the world champions. Yeah. So she, you know, she was a year older and we kind of got introduced to chess at the same time. And I started playing when I was six, really liked the game. Um, And, you know, part of the, part of the like that it offered a lot of traveling for me so I could see different parts of the country. And um, I think I played chess more than I went to school, but Mm -hmm. it also gave me a lot of kind of you know, collateral skills that helped me in life where I could read a chapter and I could remember every word when I was really active in chess. Um, You know, so it it gave me a lot of kind of mental, you know, because the brain is like a muscle. If you exercise it so much, you know, the the capacity of the brain is unlimited. And so when, when I was playing really hard, I had an amazing memory. That helped me through college here because, you know, obviously some of the language barrier when I, when I had some questions, I could have known the content, but I didn't understand what I was asked to do. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, chess came into play, I could remember some things or stitch it together from different disciplines. So that, that really helped to kind of have an overall perspective. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So uh, that reminds me of a good joke. Are you ready, Dr. Kalika? Yeah, go ahead. So uh, it's a chess joke. And just so you know, full disclosure, I enjoy a good corny dad joke every once in a while. So I'm not sure if Alex is the king. You he's the king of dad jokes. He's got to have one in every episode. So prepare yeah, so yourself. Prepare yourself. So uh, what did the chess master do in the tournament when he was stressed out? Mm. Throws throws the chess pieces around at the opponent. <laughs> I'm getting a good picture of your family life. No. And, uh <laughs> He takes the night off. Oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) Pete, always good for a good dad joke. Moving on. Anyway, (laughs) uh, no, that's interesting. I mean, so chess really became a form of experience. And did you bring that over to the United States as well? Or was that mostly in Moldova? You know, I played a few tournaments in the United States. The last one I played where we won the nationals for the Berkeley team. Um, and that was probably 92 or 93, um, somewhere around there, but that was my last chess tournament. And after that, you know, I didn't have time to play anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. That's so you're cool. saying we might have a shot to beat you now because you haven't played in a while. <laughs> That's correct. Okay. I can, I can put that on my resume too. I beat an international master of chess. That would be great. Absolutely. Oh, All right. We'll have goodness. to play some time. Cool. Well, uh, tell us about how you got into your practice then, because you started your own practice, right? Yes. Um, when I was a resident, um, I worked for Invisalign, which at that time was a startup. And uh, because I had to have a job, unlike other people, you know, um, I would finish my residency at 5 p.m. and drive to Sunnyvale from San Francisco and work until midnight to work on Invisalign, which was a very small startup company at the time. And then when Invisalign went public, I believe it was 2001, and I graduated from UCSF, I really wanted to be clinical orthodontist. So I stopped working at Invisalign and moved into clinics, worked for about a year for different practices to learn not only the business side, but also, you know, the clinical tricks of what you don't learn in residency. And after 
getting a little bit comfortable, I opened a practice about a year and a half after associating. Uh, my first you know, location was in San Francisco. Um, and I've been, I've been here in San Francisco for 20 years now practicing. And uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was a very interesting experience because now all of a sudden you become, you don't really learn much about business, unfortunately, in, in you know, as we go through the dental school and residency, and then you become a business owner, um, and you have to make it work. So I think that, you know, I've, I've learned a lot of business skills when I was associating the people that I worked for were gracious enough to share a lot of their tricks and how to do the marketing and how to meet, you know, dental community and be active. And um, in 2002, I opened the practice. And like I said, it's going to be 20 years next year that wow. I've been I've been in my own practice, but I've been 20 years out of residency practicing. So it's been a tremendous uh, ride and a lot of good experiences. And I, I love what I do still. And I, you know, I can't see myself, even if I could retire, I, did, I just like you know, orthodontics so much that, uh, and especially the clinical one that I, I really like what, what my practice offers to me and, you know, mm -hmm. the balance and what I could do for patients. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. That is Thank big. You. That is big. That's so a pretty, it's a common theme we hear though, right, Alex? I mean, people getting the technical skill set in school. Oh, for sure. Having to learn the real world business side once you actually get out into the marketplace. So that's, yeah, dental that's and medical side. Do. Absolutely. Yeah. So why ortho versus like general dentistry or anything else? Why, you why know, choose ortho? That, that, that's, that's a parallel to my chess background, actually, because ortho is a little bit more complicated. You have to kind of envision case, you know, whether the teeth are crowded or there's a lot of spacing or there's a jaw discrepancy um, or craniofacial. And you have to understand how is this patient going to grow if it's a child? You have to really predict in your head what the growth is going to be and kind of work backwards, similar to a chess game. You have to count the moves of how you can get from the beginning to the end. How do I get from the teeth being cro crooked and no space in the jaw? And by the way, right now, there's a new study from Stanford that talks about we have an epidemic of small jaws. Every generation that we, that we see, the jaws get smaller and smaller, which creates not only the crowding issues, but also the airway issues for the humans. And we're the only species that are really going through that kind of negative evolution, as really? I could say, because, you know, ha, you know, if you look many, many years ago, generations ago, people had big jaws and they ate very hard foods. And with the, with the change of diets, you know, and all of the softer foods, you know, most of the people don't have space for wisdom teeth and not even mm -hmm. space for a lot of other teeth. So anyway, for me, orthodontics offered a very logical, very, um, you know, comprehensive kind of chess game because you, I look at the patient and I could see where they're going to be at the end and I have to figure out the most efficient plan from, to get from point A to point B and straighten the teeth in three dimensions. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a vertical, it's a, you know, sagittal dimension and anterior posteriorly and it's very, it's very complicated, but I really love it and I think that's, gives me a little bit of an advantage as an orthodontist is that I could see the end. I could see how the patient is going to grow. I can understand how to put it all together with the health and, and, and really come up with a plan that's unique for that particular patient and not a cookie cutter. Wow. That's really interesting. 
how you kind of do it in stages, just like a chess game, right? Yes. Wow. Okay. And so you mentioned that the shrinking of the jaws has been a kind of an epidemic and that's causing airway issues. So how do you, how do you fix that? I'm just kind of interested to hear how does that. Well, you have to, you have to fix it from childhood. And I've been what we call airway friendly orthodontist from the beginning, which is kind of a lucky journey that I took after my residency, because that's really not what we learned, um, you know, uh, at, at the residency, there were a few professors from Europe who were very, um, you know, uh, very good in teaching me the basics of like what the airways and what the facial growth is going to be. And we treated a lot of craniofacial patients with different syndromes. Um, and that gave me kind of an opportunity to find my own journey through orthodontics. And I was always kind of a non-extraction orthodontist. I mean, I tried 95% of my... Um, of my cases were non-extraction. Obviously, there were some situations where I had to do it. But again, airway was my number one. So when I looked at the patient, I was thinking, how's this patient breathing? How are they going to grow? What can I do for them to be a healthy individual? And then I, I looked at their facial profile. Then I looked at the teeth. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I met, you know, I asked me a question with the chest and the parallel with orthodontics. It's actually the chest has, you know, 32 pieces, right? So the upper teeth are 16 and the lower teeth are 16, almost like white and black. You know, all of it has 16 wow. pieces. So it's like you have to make white and black to work together in this case, in the case of orthodontics, where, you know, in the case of chess, the white works always against the black. But um, hmm. coming back to the airway, um, I discovered earlier that when you do early expansion and early intervention and growing, you could actually influence the growth of the lower jaw with the kids that are six or seven or even younger. And you could, you know, treat their habits. And also you could get the patient to breathe through the nose. That's also very important. A lot of, because of the small lower jaw and the sleep apnea, and a lot of patients are mouth breathers. And when you breathe through the mouth, it kind of disturbs a lot of your number one immune function, but number two, your growth changes of your face and the whole craniofacial complex, it redirects the growth in a different way. And so when I, when I was teach when I was treating my kids, I was always like talking about other things while I'm doing orthodontics. And the other thing I have to say is when I do orthodontics, I also try to give kids a lot of confidence, you know, in life. I try to be an orthodontist slash a life coach somewhere in between because I teach them number one, that they need to, kind of work hard if they want to get a quick result, right? For example, if they wear rubber bands, they're going to get a faster result and get the braces off soon. I also teach them that they need to be part of the success story. So I usually tell them, hey, you know, we need to be on the same team and work together. You know, that's why I need to have a good oral hygiene, you know, because if you have a bad oral hygiene and you don't brush and floss, then you're not on my team and we're like, you know, fighting with each other. So as I go through the orthodontic process, it gives me a chance to influence this kid's life and try to ask him, what do you want to do in life? Like, how can I help you? Some of the children I guided into medical school and dental school. And, you know, over 20 years, I could see, you know, some of the mentorship um, abilities that I think were given to me actually materialized. And, you know, uh, there are a few dentists that are working in San Francisco that were, you know, my patients and students. And it, it's very nice to see that some of the, in addition to me creating beautiful smiles and nice faces and people who breathe well, 
you know, I can influence the children, you know, a little bit, you know, and, and help, help them in addition to what parents do at home. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. That's, that's uh, pretty inspirational here. I'm a, I'm a parent of two young kids. I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old, so I'm going to go home, make sure they're flossing every night now. You motivate Please me. do. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you have a passion for the pediatric side. Was that? Would you say that's uh, probably? Well, I I have a passion for both sides. I mean, I like adult treatment as well, and um, but I think pediatric side is something that you could. And I feel I have a lot of skills that I can influence their growth properly and their breathing properly that many other orthodontists don't do. Um, There's some orthodontists that still take a lot of teeth out on most of the kids or they would do expansion, but it's not customized. So it's like a cookie cutter for every patient and every patient is different. You know, every patient has unique muscle structure, jaw structure, growth structure, you know, genetics of how the parents came together. And so you have to really customize it. And I feel like, you know, my whole background and, you know, the life journey gave me gave me a very unique advantages in many different areas in orthodontics. Wow. Interesting. That's amazing. So, so you mentioned, uh, go ahead, Pete. Well, I was just going to say, this is so interesting. I kind of want to just ask one more question before yeah. we move on. And that is, you know, given the fact you're committed to, you're going to have generational mentorship. Um, how do you see kind of the future going in San Francisco specifically, because there's been a lot of change over the last couple of years. You know, some young families are moving out to the suburbs nowadays. Um, how are you seeing your practice influenced by, I guess, the greater shift uh, around you yeah. in the city? Well, obviously in San Francisco, we have more adult patients than we have kids now because a lot of kids are moving out. But there's still, you know, the young people want to be in the metropolitan city area, right? So when they have you know, families and they have younger kids at six or seven, you know, a lot of times they get into my practice. And then, you know, by the time they go to middle school and high school, they move out to the suburbs, you know. So at least I get a little bit of a glimpse, three, four, five years, the phase one where I could influence some of those children and um, fix some of the problems. Uh, I think that, you know, San Francisco, like anything else, goes in stages, right? Right now we're kind of on the bottom of it. And, um, you know, there's a lot of politics and a lot of people that feel uncomfortable, but hopefully with some changes, you know, coming up or, you know, things change and, you know, it's going to, the pendulum will swing the other way because, um, you know, people get tired of, you know, the crime and all these other things. And they, San Francisco is a beautiful city and should be a city for the young families to feel comfortable. Right. Uh, Right. But unfortunately it's not right now. But it, it, you know, again, like anything else, it uh, it takes a few years and it'll swing back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you mentioned I wanted to get into a little bit of the you mentioned uh, biz, the business side of owning a practice being one of the challenges that you faced. Can you maybe speak a little bit more to that, or is there any other challenges that maybe uh, you had to push through on your journey through that twenty years of owning your own practice? Um, well, I mean, the, the couple of challenges that uh, balancing work and life balance for me, um, I was, uh, in a clinical practice for 10 years 
And then I felt, you know, now I'm strong enough and I've had enough knowledge, both academically and business-wise, clinically, that I could teach other people. So I went on a lecture circuit. And at two and a half years, I was traveling around. I was doing most of the major conferences. I became key opinion leader for many large companies um, because, number one, I wanted to see other people and I want to be up to date to the latest and the greatest. But number two, I wanted to inv- get myself involved with the development of the new products and the innovations and try to contribute to the kind of overall good of the society. So it was a very difficult point because, you know, I had the young kids at the time and I was traveling around almost every weekend, you know, lecturing oh, and I had to do the clinical practice. So that was for two and a half years even though I gained tremendous amount of knowledge and met a lot of very interesting people, it was very difficult to keep the life work balance for me. Mm -hmm. And that was a big challenge. I had to step back and say, okay, what's more important for me? Is it more important for me to kind of spend time with my family and clinical practice? I could not do all three at some point and I wanted to, right? And so I think that's the challenge that a lot of people face of, you know, how do I balance, you know, my, my, you know, life and, uh, you know, plus the personal thing completely went on the side. Like I stopped working out. I didn't have time, you know, between those three and, you know, doing something for myself that became a really hard challenge. So now I'm slowly trying to get back to the, you know, going, you know, going to the gym and working out, but that that's kind of a, maybe the life journey of an entrepreneur, you know, somebody who wants to be a doctor and also wants to do some other things. Um, is to prioritize things. And I, I feel like I was able to regroup and kind of go back and, you know, I, uh, work, in, work in my location in San Francisco. But I'm still involved with a lot of startup companies and a lot of innovations, but I only do it locally. I don't do a lot of lectures, you know, internationally or nationally anymore, um, even though I want to. I mean, I think my, my real kind of, uh, you know, journey is to be an academician and really teach people, but I just don't like the politics in academia. There's a lot of mm. political things. You know, every time you go and become a professor or full-time faculty, you, know, you have to deal with the politics and the chairman and the school and what you could do. And I'm not a good politician. So that that thing I learned early is like, I really don't want to be in politics. I want to be, you know, providing as much good as possible and uh, treat the kids. So that that was that was a little bit of a, you know, um, that was a little bit of a challenge to kind of figure out where I want to be and how I want to spend, you know, the next 10 years of my life where my, my younger kids are still 11 and 13. So next year they'll go into middle school and high school. And, you know, I want to spend more and more time. My older one is already in college and I, I didn't spend as much time with him as I could have. Hmm. Yeah. I think, I think every parent feels that challenge. Um, in some way, shape, or form. I certainly do myself having young kids, but uh, that's, that's good wisdom to have the perspective to realize that, you know, before you get too far in life and you look backwards with regrets. So I think that's That's really good. Really good. Um, So I guess one of the things that we always do in the show, uh, and you've kind of talked about this already, um, but do you have any nuggets for the audience? Maybe someone, an up and coming dentist or orthodontist, maybe even just an entrepreneur um, who's building their own company. Do you have any advice for the audience that you could kind of share a nugget or two? 
Yeah, I think one of the things is just follow your passion, you know, and I think things will happen. And I'm sure they hear it from many, many different people. But it's true, if you could find something you're passionate about and find the mission in life, um, you know, where you doing good yourself, where you doing good to others, I think that's very important. And in terms of dentists, you know, the particular nuggets, I think dentistry in 10 years will be completely different than it's finally getting innovative, innovative, right? I mean, they, there was no innovation in dentistry for many, many years. We, we live in Silicon Valley. We see, you know, electric cars and all of the innovations with artificial intelligence. It's finally happening in dentistry. So dentistry 10 years from now will be totally different than it is now where it's going to be back integrated with the medicine. You know, many years ago, it kind of got separated from the medicine, but, you know, you're treating the same person, right? So you have to look at the overall health. So, you know, so that that's very important. The second thing, like I'm a co-founder of AI for dentistry software, which actually diagnoses uh, right away. It uses different neural networks and diagnoses carries periodontal disease in two minutes. So the tools we're going to have available to dentists are going to be incredible. And I think 10 years from now, everybody will use use AI to help diagnose and treat in their practice. And in terms of like, you know, analyzing the genetics, you know, the saliva, the, you know, the, some of the embryonal cells that are located in the wisdom teeth, we're now very close to having ability to grow the teeth, you know, from the, from the embryonal cell line, um, you know, wow. so I think dentistry is going to be totally different and it's going to be integrated with medicine is going to be one. In, we just actually, I'm on the Dean's Council at UCSF and I'm very proud that one of our initiatives was to integrate dentistry and medicine. Mm. We just, the dental school just became part of UCSF health, which is an overall health system. And, mm. you know, that hasn't happened before. So this whole integration is very interesting, but, you know, in terms of advice for clinician entrepreneurs is just follow your passion. If your passion is, you know, in research and discovery, there's a lot of innovation that's happening. It's a very kind of young field. And, um, you know, I'm enjoying that part of my journey as well is that I get to innovate and create new products uh, that will change the world. That's amazing. Very That's cool. very exciting. I would agree yeah, with you. I mean, you. Alex and I get a chance to work with uh, people in the healthcare space. And I think you're absolutely right. I think in the dental space is kind of primed for innovation and change um, sure. as technology and AI catches up uh, like it has in the medical field in some ways. So yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. I'll kick it back over to Alex. Any yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Dr. Kalika, if anyone that's listening wants to reach out to you um, either personally or just, uh, you know, to your practices, where can they find you? You have a website or yeah, our website is imageorthodontics.com. Okay. Um, they could, you know, there's a obviously different chat menu, or they could send an email to info at imageorthodontics.com. My okay. personal email is drkalika at imageorthodontics.com. Um, I'm happy to, you know, the our our office numbers are textable. So they could t- send a text to the office number that are listed. Um, you know, they then I will get the message and I'll okay. reach out back to them. I'm happy to give my cell phone number, you know, to you if anybody wants to reach out to me directly. So I'm very open. Awesome. awesome. Love that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been fascinating. Really enjoyed Absolutely. this. No, Absolutely. I appreciate uh, having me. Thank you so much. 
Definitely. And thank you to all the listeners listening out there. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on all of our social medias. And we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at KPP Podcast. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone who would make a great guest, feel free to reach out. Hope to see you next time.